promise I did not coordinate the crew neck sweater look with DC. I think he pulls it off a little bit better than, than I do. Well, um, welcome to All Nations, and thank you again for joining us. Uh, I've been on a short preaching break uh, with the birth of my first son, Seth, and so I do want to thank, yeah, I do want to thank DC and Pastor Paul uh, for carrying that load uh, for a period. Uh, church, I want to thank you so much for your support and your prayers. Uh, Seth is his name, and he was born on January 17th, coming in just under eight pounds. He was as healthy as can be, and so I'm going to show you guys a, a recent picture of him. Yeah! So that's my dog, Piper. That's our fur baby, and this is Seth, and I've been told, that, oh, my wife, Alice is photo cred, so she was taking the picture, and I was like, man, I, I realized we don't have a great family picture. Uh, we have one in the hospital, but um, if you've had a baby... The moms are not like, yeah, I'm ready for Instagram, like right there. And so she was taking the picture. So I look like a single father right there, but um, that's not the case. And I've always also been told that uh, that's an unusual amount of hair uh, that he has. And so that's pretty cool. Uh, we should have named him Esau, Esau. But uh, man, um, yeah, we can take that picture down. So that's enough of it. Uh, becoming a father has uh, truly changed my life. It has wrecked my sleep schedule. Um, it's taking Alice and I into like a whole new phase of, of marriage dynamics. You know, we went from dual income, no kids. You know, we go out to eat whenever we want and hang out. And now we're like, we can't leave the house. And so that's a, a, a real dynamic change. Um, but I've also noticed like it's really changed my heart. Uh, there's a whole new depth of love, uh, patience, responsibility, concern, and stress uh, that has awakened in me. And speaking of just concerns and, and, and stress, uh, I'm concerned about my kid's bowel movements. There was a day where he didn't go, and I was like, oh my gosh, we got to like make sure he goes. I'm concerned about his sleep schedule, his eating habits, diaper rashes, baby acne. I didn't know babies could get acne. Um, you know, those are things that I just only had to concern or worry about for myself. I wasn't worried about like, you know, my wife's bowel movements or anything, but, but my son, you know, like that, that, that's a whole nother level of concern. Now, by God's grace, Seth has been healthy. He's been a really healthy baby so far. He's one of those rare Asian babies who didn't have jaundice, and so we thank God for that. But um, I'm already imagining, and I can only imagine how difficult it would be for me if I saw him suffer, if I saw him experience some kind of disease, illness or pain. Uh, when I talk to parents and when I minister or counsel parents, they say that there's no greater feeling of helplessness and despair than seeing one of your beloved children suffering. And if I can be honest, that would be a genuine test of faith for me. But the reality is this. God does allow us to experience pain and loss in our lives. Becoming a Christian doesn't create this like bulletproof vest from suffering. Becoming a Christian and, and claiming Christ as your Lord and Savior doesn't, doesn't keep you safe from any harm, loss, or hardship. No person in the Bible was immune to this, and none of us here today are either. We've all experienced firsthand what it's like to see our friends or our family go through hardship, sickness, perhaps even death. And it's in those moments when many of us have asked, God, where are you? Have you ever asked that in your life, in a, in a difficult or a stressful situation? 
Have you asked, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why don't you do something? Don't you love me? Can't you hear me? Don't you care? Don't you care? Well, in our passage today, as we're going through this series on encountering Jesus, we have the story of two sisters, Mary and Martha, who are going through exactly this, this kind of test of faith, this kind of tragedy and hardship. Their brother, Lazarus, has become seriously ill. And in the midst of his illness, they reach out to Jesus for help. They know, they believe that if anyone can help their brother Lazarus, if anyone can heal him, it is Jesus. It is Jesus. So they reach out to Jesus. And now Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they're no strangers to Jesus. In fact, we are told that they have an intimate relationship with Jesus, that Jesus loves them deeply, that they love Jesus. And so they have this great, healthy, almost family-like relationship with Jesus. But when Jesus hears about Lazarus being seriously ill, instead of immediately going to him, he stays for two days longer in the place where he was. And while Jesus is away, Lazarus dies. Lazarus dies. Jesus eventually, go, eventually goes. He eventually goes to this town called Bethany to meet with Mary and Martha, but it's too late. Lazarus is already in the tomb. And what happens next is one of the most profound encounters that, that takes place with Jesus and these two women. It's one of the most profound encounters in the Gospels. And so if you have your Bibles, would you please turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 17. Luke chapter 11, verses uh, 17. We're going to read all the way to verse 37. It's also going to go up on the screen, and may God bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. Sorry, John, thank you, sorry. John chapter 17, thank you, media team. Um, John 17, or John 11, seven, dad brain, dad brain. Okay, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus, who had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him, when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to see where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been there, 
my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Amen. The word of the Lord. This is a well-known passage, especially because it contains everyone's go-to memory verse. Jesus wept. John eleven thirty-five. And as we look at our passage today, I want to answer this ever-important question. This is a question that will touch every single one of us in our lives over and over again. What does Jesus offer us in the midst of grief and loss? What does the gospel offer us when we experience grief and loss, when we are going through some of our most difficult trials and seasons in life? What difference does Jesus make? I do have three points in this message, but instead of giving them at the top, I'm going to give them as we work our way through. I hope for the note takers, it doesn't stress you out too much. In our passage, Mary and Martha, they encounter Jesus in the midst of their grief. They've just lost their brother. And when they meet him, they both say the same thing to him verbatim. Did you pick up on that? Mary and Martha say the exact same thing to Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever asked God that question? Where were you when I needed you the most? Where were you when my loved one died? Where were you when my parents divorced? Or when my marriage came to an end? God, where were you when I lost my job or lost my home or, or I lost my way? Where were you when I was crying out for help? We have all struggled with these questions. And we've all struggled with God's will and his timing in our lives. But if there's one thing that we see clearly from his word today, it's that God's delay, okay? God's delay does not contradict his love. His delay does not mean that he has failed us. In fact, we see that God does come. He comes in his time. He comes in his way. And when he does, he meets our deepest need, okay? God's delay doesn't mean that he has abandoned us. It means that we are called to wait, to wait in faith, knowing and believing that when he comes, he will meet and satisfy our deepest needs. And we see this in Jesus' encounters with Mary and Martha. They both ask him the same question, but you know what's fascinating in our passage? He responds to them in two very different and, and unique ways. And I want us to, to look at these encounters. I want to start off with Mary, I mean Martha. Okay? Martha we know as the busybody. You guys have probably heard the story when Jesus first visits their home. Martha is the one who's practicing all of the hospitality. She's serving and she's hosting. And Mary, instead of helping Martha, she just goes to Jesus. She sits at his feet. So we, we understand and we see Martha as this active person, this busy body. And when Martha hears that Jesus is on their way to them, same Martha, she kicks into gear. She initiates and she goes out to meet Jesus. 
And in addition to telling Jesus that he was too late, she makes this kind of theological statement. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha has seen Jesus perform miracles. She knows that Jesus has power from God. And so Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And she agrees. She agrees saying that she believes in the resurrection. She believes that, yes, on that last day, on the last day, I will see my brother Lazarus again. But Jesus actually corrects her and he responds. And we have this great, powerful I am statement. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see, what happens in this encounter is that Jesus sees Martha's heart. He knows that Martha is in doubt. She's struggling with despair. You see, we all process grief in different ways. We, we process loss in different ways. And Martha was the thinker. Martha might have even been the blamer. Maybe she was blaming God, blaming Jesus for the loss of her brother. And she was asking this very simple, and, 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 and this, this question resonates with us. God, if you are able, if you are omnipotent, if you are mighty, why did you let this happen? Why did you let this happen? She was wrestling with the timing and the will of God, and Jesus saw this, but he doesn't rebuke her. He's not angry with her. He's not frustrated with her. Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, he meets her where she is. He offers her hope from truth. He offers us hope. He offers her hope from his divinity. This is the first answer to the driving question of our sermon. What does Jesus offer us in the midst of our grief and loss? He offers us hope from his divinity. Hope from the fact that he is the son of God. He is the resurrection and the life. This is the promise of the gospel. And when this truth penetrates Martha's heart, when, when that light comes into her mind again, she responds with one of the greatest confessions of Christ in the gospel. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. You are the son of God who is coming into the world. See, church, Martha accepted the truth that Jesus wasn't just some great prophet. He wasn't merely some great healer. She came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Christ, that he truly was the Son of God, and that he didn't just promise the resurrection, okay? He was the resurrection. Tim Keller, um, he was reflecting on this passage, and he had this great quote and insight. This is what he says. He says, the founders of every other major religion said, I am a prophet who shows you how to find God. But Jesus taught I am God, come to find you. Do you see the distinction? It's one thing to say that this is how you get to heaven. This is how you can experience nirvana. This is how you can experience happiness and joy. And they're just trying to talk to you and fill your mind with ideas, tickle your ears and direct you in the way. But Jesus says, no, 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 I am God. Come down from heaven. I am God who's come to you to rescue you to save and redeem you. Jesus is utterly different than any other teacher, rabbi, prophet, and healer that has tried to walk on this earth. Jesus is divine. 
There are some of you here, brothers and sisters, who are in the midst of grief and pain. And what you need is the truth of God to break into your doubt. You need the truth of who Jesus is. Would you look to him? Would you consider him as the true and living son of God, as the resurrection and the life to give you hope and guidance and life again? Now let's look to Jesus' encounter with Mary. It's very different, very different from Jesus' encounter with Martha. Mary too says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And in verse 33, we have Jesus' response to her. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come up with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And in verse 35, we are told that Jesus wept. What happened? Why didn't Jesus just tell Mary the same thing he told Martha? Okay, Same problem, right? Same kind of prompt, but Jesus isn't just following a script. He's not just following a script. He doesn't say, hey, uh, let me just restate what I told Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Though a man die, he will not live. If you believe in me, why didn't he just say that? Because it's one thing to push against doubt with truth, okay? That's oftentimes what we need. If our minds are filled with doubt, if we're doubting the word of God, the truth of God, we need someone to speak truth into our hearts. When somebody comes to you, maybe it's in a conversation over coffee or in a community group, and they just say, you know what? I don't believe Jesus is God. You don't say, yeah, man, I feel you. That, that's, that's not a time to like try to empathize and affirm them, okay? In the moment of heresy, you don't say, yeah. You know, you should speak truth in love. You should speak truth in love. You should ask why they feel that. You should want to help them in their doubts, but you don't affirm, you don't affirm wrong beliefs. What was Mary's issue? Mary wasn't overwhelmed with doubt. Her struggle wasn't conceptual as it was emotional, Mary was overwhelmed with sadness. And when Jesus sees her tears, when he sees her sadness and grief, you know what Jesus does? He enters into it. He enters into it. He's present with her. He feels her pain. And he shares in her sorrow. He was deeply moved. He had a ministry of words for Martha. But for Mary, he had a ministry of tears. Do you see that? And there are times in the midst of our brokenness and our pain, we need one or the other, or we need both. There are times we need a ministry of words, a ministry of truth, somebody to correct us, somebody to confront us, even rebuke us. But there are other times we need a ministry of tears, somebody who will cry alongside us, who will grieve with us, who will mourn with us, who can hold our hand and be present with us. And Jesus sees that. That is what Mary needs. And so he wept. He wept for Mary. He wept with Mary. Friends, have you ever known a love or a friendship like this where it was safe for you to be weak, where it was safe for you to be vulnerable, because in the presence of that companion, you felt fully understood. You felt fully accepted and you felt fully loved. Where does that come from? That comes from compassion 
empathy. It comes from shared experience. Right now, my wife, she's in um, uh, week three, post-pregnancy, right, post-pregnancy. And um, I'm doing all that I can as her husband to be her companion, to love her, to support her. I'm changing diapers, warming bottles. I'm running errands, throwing out the trash, cleaning the house, whatever I can do to help her. But I know that there's a limitation to how much empathy I can share because I didn't give birth I didn't give, I didn't carry the, our, our child for nine months. I'm not going to know what it's like to experience the, the trial of postpartum depression, the struggles of, of breastfeeding and, and recovery after labor. But there are other women, other mothers who have gone through that experience, who have gone through things like mom guilt, right? And, and, and things like that. And so it's very interesting. It'll be like 2 a.m. And she's getting all these texts, like bing, 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 bing. And I'm like, what's going on? And she has friends, close confidants, sisters who are supporting her. She's saying, I'm struggling with this, right? I'm, in, I'm so stressed and worried and concerned over these things. And I have nothing to say to her. I'm just like, ah, oh, you know, I can sigh and whatever it might be. But there is a sisterhood and a companionship. There's a shared experience. There's an acceptance and an understanding that she has that, 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 that is giving her life right now. That's blessing her. That's giving her strength, even when she feels like she doesn't have the strength to, to go another session of pumping and feeding and diaper changing. And, and right now, um, my mom is living with us. And so she has mother-in-law. Like, well, we have this, like, thousand-square-foot condo in Pasadena, and now we're just jam-packed. The first two weeks, it was her mom, and it was awesome. You know, with her mom, she could just be herself, and her mom knows her and takes care of her. And now my mom flew in, and so pray for us. <laughs> Pray for us, right? I'm about to buy my mom a ticket to go back to it. I'm like, hey, it was good, right? But I'm like, man, this is too much stress on the family, right? But if you've experienced that kind of companionship, that friendship, you know how life-giving it is. Where you can be weak and you're not going to be judged. You can be weak and someone will, will hold you and embrace you. Church, this is the second thing that Jesus offers us in the midst of our grief and pain. He offers us compassion from his humanity. Jesus is not just fully divine. He's not just righteous and holy and majestic. In his incarnation, he has drawn near to us. In his humanity, he's offered us the nearness of his presence. He shares in our pain. He understands our weakness. He weeps with us as we weep. And so today, he's not just asking if you and I believe that he is the resurrection and the life. He's asking us, do we believe that he cares? Do you believe that Jesus cares for you? Do you believe that Jesus sees you in the midst of your hurt, in the midst of your weakness, in the midst of your sorrow? Do you, do you believe that he sees you and he's not judging you, and he's not condemning you, but he's weeping with you, and he's grieving with you, that his heart breaks for you, and that he's offering all of himself to you today, all of his divinity and all of his humanity.
This is our complete Savior. This is Jesus, fully God and fully man. And the third and final thing that Jesus offers us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our loss, is his victory. Brothers and sisters, we have, even in the midst of our loss, in this world, in this life, we have a victory that is safe and secure in Jesus Christ. And this is good news for us. Our passage closes with this incredible scene of Jesus who goes to the tomb of Lazarus. And let's pick up at verse 38 again. Verse 38, we're gonna get back into God's word. Then Jesus deeply moved again. He came to the tomb. It was a cave. And a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Always thinking logistically, Martha. (laughs) Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you, would, you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Amen. I want to make one kind of Uh, commentary or note on on the beginning verse of this passage where it says, Jesus deeply moved again. That's like an emotionally ambiguous phrase because, you know, we can be deeply moved by a lot of things, deeply moved by a painting, deeply moved by a song, deeply moved by a sunset, deeply moved by a gift. So uh, this phrase is very emotionally ambiguous, but every commentator who has studied this passage, they're looking at the words and and the original meaning, they actually say that that, that translation's inadequate because you need to actually capture the emotional kind of state of Jesus. And it's actually Jesus being deeply moved in anger. Jesus was indignant He was angry as he stood at the tomb. And he wasn't angry with himself. He wasn't angry with like people doubting or anything like that. The anger that Jesus was feeling was this anger against death. The curse of death. He saw in that tomb the result of sin. John Calvin, he calls death tyranny against creation tyranny against creation. I mean, think about this. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. What then is death? Death is the opponent of God. Death is the opponent of Jesus. And he sees in that tomb the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus is angered. He is angered. And yet he is here to prove to all those who are there that they would see that he is angered, but he will be victorious. That as final and as powerful and as devastating as death may seem to Mary and Martha and all those who are weeping, as final and as painful as death may seem to us in our lives, as we experience the loss of our loved ones, Jesus is declaring to us that death will not have the final victory, that Jesus 
is greater. Jesus is stronger. That Christ will be victorious. You see, Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave to prove to the people that he truly was the Son of God. To truly prove to the people that he's not just talking about eternal life. He's not just promising hope and the resurrection. He is going to show them that he truly has the power and authority to resurrect Verse 42, I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you have sent me. Jesus' goal is not to just give Lazarus another extension on life because here's the reality. He raised Lazarus from the grave, but Lazarus died again. Think about that. We're thinking, man, that, that Lazarus, what an awesome testimony. But he died twice. Physically, he died twice. That's, that's dark, right? And Jesus is like, that's not the goal. The goal of raising Lazarus was to bring people to faith. To bring people to faith in in the Son of God, Jesus. That he's not just a teacher, he's not just a prophet, but he is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. But there's a greater meaning of this miracle. There's a greater meaning than just Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and showing how powerful and mighty he is. He actually, this story This miracle here is a foreshadowing of Jesus' own death and resurrection. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to be betrayed, and he's going to die for the sins of the world, and he will be buried in a tomb. And when Jesus sees the tomb of Lazarus, he sees his own tomb. He sees his own tomb. You see, you and I, we don't believe that Jesus is our Savior just because he rose Lazarus from the dead. That's just not enough for us. We can say, oh, that's cool. You did that for Lazarus, but what will you do for me? Have you ever experienced that? You're in a small group or a community group. You're talking to somebody, and and God does a great miracle for them, a great breakthrough or a revelation, and you're like, that's cool. That's good for you, but it's not doing anything for me. We would be in the same position if we see God answering Mary and Martha's prayers, God miraculously healing and, and resurrecting Lazarus, we think, that is really great, but what are you going to do for me and my loss and my pain and my grief? And Jesus' answer is this, I'm going to go to the grave for you. I'm going to go to the cross for you. I'm going to enter into the tomb for you, and on the third day, I will rise again. He is our Savior, not because he raised Lazarus from the grave. He is our Savior because he is risen from the grave. This is why Jesus is not just the resurrector. He is the resurrection and the life. Brothers and sisters, this is the hope that Jesus offers us. His truth and his divinity. His comfort and compassion in his humanity. And his victory through the death of and resurrection that only he was able to secure. Would you look to him? Would you consider him? Would you believe in him today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you are such a wondrous and loving God. We thank you that you see us in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our hurt and in our struggles and you are a God who gives us exactly what we need when we need your truth you speak it when we need your comfort 
and kindness you provide it. When we need your strength and your victory, God, you supply it in full. We thank you that in Jesus Christ, all of our hopes, all of our needs, our prayers are answered as yes and amen. God, I wanna pray for any brothers and sisters here today who might be in a season of pain and hardship. Father, would you meet and minister to them just as you did so for Mary and Martha. God, we are amazed by the power of your gospel. And I pray, Lord, that your gospel would not just be words on a page, it would not just be lyrics to a song, but that the power of the gospel would be experienced and enjoyed in our lives. And so God, would you send your Holy Spirit to apply and to secure this truth deep in our hearts for your glory and for our salvation. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.